Hi guys, welcome to the All Our Mothers podcast. My name's Miggy, I'm your host and the founder of All Our Mothers. We're a brand new platform building communities online and in real life while celebrating the diversity of motherhood and promoting a much more inclusive narrative. So, let's get started, shall we? We're super excited. It's our very first episode of the All Our Mothers podcast and we're starting things off with a bang as we interview an extremely inspirational mother. Her name is Samantha. She works as an aerospace program manager and lives in Arizona with her wife and four sons. What a handful. (laughs) And we're going to be talking to her about her own experiences of transgender motherhood today. Samantha, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Of course. Maybe to kick things off, and I know this isn't how we really intended to start the podcast, but maybe you can start by just telling us what your job is. What exactly does an aerospace program manager do? (laughs) Right. So I actually work for a large company here that produces product for aircraft, um, commercial aircraft, military aircraft. Uh, We make everything from the engines that go on an airplane to the displays in the cockpit, even the lighting on the wings. And I work with a large aerospace aircraft producer And my responsibilities are making sure that for those aircraft that I support, all of our product is delivered on time, any quality issues are resolved, and I work very closely with that OEM to make sure that our product is is working as designed and is is adequate for their needs. So it it keeps me very busy. It's a very technically inclined field. Um, It's something I've been doing for 12 years now. I, I enjoy it quite a bit. Okay, got it. Much more impressive sounding day job than mine. (laughs) Okay, so let's dive straight into things. Your story is so inspirational and I think that on hearing it, so many people will be touched and inspired and informed. So many great things can come out of this. So let's just get started. Maybe we can begin by talking about your coming to terms with being transgender and the events that led to you beginning your transition? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people come to terms with being transgender. And I think in my case, it it took quite a while. Um, Going back to when I was a very small child, I I always felt that I was born in the wrong body. And and these are thoughts that started when I was very young. Um, By the time I was seven, by the time I was eight, Um, I was already very confused uh, in that, you know, how I appeared on the outside wasn't how I felt on the inside. But that was a very hard concept to explain, especially as a child, and especially as a child growing up in the late 80s, early 1990s, where there just wasn't a lot of exposure or information about that available. It was hard for me to communicate. And really, I was very afraid about these feelings. Um, I was afraid that if I shared them with anyone else, that, you know, bad things would happen. I I, I just wasn't sure what to make of them. And growing up and and going into my teenage years, I, I did finally learn that there were other people out there that felt this way. But at the time in, in the world and, um, the way that being transgender was presented, it seemed like a very negative thing. Um, oftentimes, the only 
time you ever heard about someone being transgender was on trashy news shows or being portrayed negatively in movies. And it sounded like being transgender was a bad thing. And being exposed to that just made me want to push those feelings down even deeper um, and try not to explore them, try not to pay attention to them, do my best to just go on with my life, um, pretend that everything was fine because it, for, for everyone else, everything appeared fine. This was just my own internal fight that I had been dealing with. But somehow you did manage to suppress those feelings for quite some time, didn't you? I, I did. Um, by the time I was in my early 20s, um, this is in the early 2000s now, there was more information available out there uh, regarding being transgender and, and what that experience entailed. But I was very afraid. I was very afraid of what that would mean in my life, what that would mean um, socially, what that would mean in my career. Um, I was just in a position where I thought I could push those feelings down and try to live my life without having to acknowledge them. So what would you say that it was that really brought about this change in pace and made you realize that you really couldn't go on like that? So I think it's important to bring up um, my personal relationships as well. Because it was in my early 20s that I met my my future wife, Laura. And, you know, it was a very whirlwind-type romance. Um, we, we were two very compatible people. We hit things off almost immediately when we first met. And we fell deeply in love. And in that time, we decided we, we would be married. And... I, there, there was a moment where I thought, you know, I should tell her these feelings that I have. I should communicate these to her. And I actually called off the wedding uh, for a short time because I, I wanted to try to work through these feelings with her. But in, in those few weeks where, you know, uh, the, the engagement was called off, I ultimately decided, but, you know, my love for her is strong enough that, you know, I, I don't need to address these feelings. I don't need to let them control me. I, I want to be with her. She's my person. And I will be stronger than than these thoughts that I've had. I, I want to have a family with her. She's, she's all that I've ever wanted in a partner, and that would be enough. So instead of discussing it at that point, we put the wedding back on the calendar, and, and we were wed in 2006. So it's 2006, and you're married, and you're in love, but you're still encountering difficulties, perhaps. Can you tell us some more about that? The difficult thing with gender dysphoria, and, and for those listening who aren't familiar with that terminology, gender dysphoria is that feeling that transgender people have, or the most trans people have, of, of being in unease with their, with their body, and in that unease with their presentation. And uh, for, for many trans people, that unease, um, that dysphoria feeling doesn't go away. It doesn't go away unless it's treated or addressed. And although we were very happy and we had many happy times, that feeling of dysphoria, that feeling of discomfort for me was always right below the surface. And as, as many other people in my situation can attest to, the more you ignore that feeling, 
the more it can build over time. And as the years went by in our relationship, for me, those that feeling continued to intensify. Um, and that, that usually manifested itself in feelings of sadness and depression. And although I had struggled with, with some of those feelings in the past, they became worse over time uh, to the point where I began to seek out medical treatment for depression. And as part of that was put on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication several times. But the reality is, although that medication was very effective in controlling my mood, it didn't resolve the underlying issue, which was that feeling of being in the wrong body. So what I would end up doing is going on and off medicine over the years. And, you know, um, at times I would rather be sad than have to actually come to terms with addressing the, the underlying problem. And so as this dysphoria and, and this depression was eating away at you. What about Laura, your wife? Did she realize that something was up? She had to deal with that, the, the sadness that would come over me. And it would, it would come in waves. And, and there would be depressive episodes that would last. It could be days, it could be weeks. But as time continued on, those episodes became longer and, you know, turned into months and, and at, at the very end before finally coming out, almost a full year where I was horribly depressed. And that put a terrible strain on our relationship. That put a terrible strain on, on her as well uh, to have to care for a spouse that was so unhappy. And she did her absolute best, but the reality is she didn't have all the information. She didn't, she still didn't know at that point what was driving these feelings in me. And I was still terrified to discuss them with her. And so I guess that leads us to a time in your life that was particularly low. Perhaps you could even say your lowest point. Um, you were having some really dreadful thoughts at this time, right? Right. So for, for me, the, the, my worst year was in 2016. And in 2016, um, it started very joyously. We, we found out that, that Laura was pregnant with our, our fourth son. And, you know, for me, that was a very exciting time and a very exciting moment. But at the same time, I knew that I was getting to the point where I could no longer manage these feelings internally. And for the vast majority of 2016, um, the, the depression and, and pain that I was feeling because of, of, of this dysphoria was intense. As, as 2016 pr progressed, I knew that I would have to address this sooner than later. I, I knew in, at the start of 2016 that I wasn't going to be able to keep this a secret for the rest of my life, and I, I had to come up with a solution to, to handle it and, and to finally come to terms with it. And I was still very afraid. I was still afraid of what the implications of coming out would be. And, and now, you know, now I have three children, a, a fourth child on the way, I, I've established this career. I've established this beautiful marriage with a beautiful woman. And I knew that if I finally 
came out, I could lose everything. And that was, that was a devastating thought to me. I, I, I didn't know what to do in that situation. And, and because of that, my, my thoughts turned to suicide. I, I was so afraid to actually dismantle my life and to potentially lose everyone that I loved so much and, and held so dear. I, I almost threw it away. And those were the darkest days of my life that I felt that that was the solution. Um, and and it, I, it's, it's hard to, it's still hard to talk about today because I, especially looking back now, I, I know that that, that, that that was never a solution. That was never the right answer. Um, but it was only my own fear that, that drove me to that point. That was uh, about October of 2016, where where I was at my absolute bottom, and and had a plan to to end my life. Um, but ultimately, I, I wasn't able to go through with it. Mm. Yeah, thankfully, thankfully you you didn't go through with it. And so at this time, you started to get the help that you needed. Is that right? You started to actually see a therapist. Right. So. After that that very dark time in October, I started to open up to Laura a little bit more, and I, I told her I really needed to speak with a, a therapist to finally deal with these feelings that that had been consuming me. And I was very, still very nervous about the prospect of, of talking to anyone about this. At, at this point, I, I really hadn't outright said these emotions to anybody. And, and Laura was wonderful. She um, reached out to therapists locally here in town. She made a list of names of therapists that, that she was able to find. And, and she was even willing to call them for me and, and schedule an appointment because I, I was so afraid I, I couldn't even pick up the phone and, and try to make the call. Um, but I, I looked at the list of therapists that she had selected and unfortunately, none of them dealt with any sort of LGBT or gender issues. And I knew that I really needed to speak with a therapist that had that sort of a background. So I, you know, I, I thanked her for, for, for helping me with that. But I ended up going online, doing some research myself. And I put together a list of, of three or four therapists that I knew worked with uh, LGBT issues. And I asked her if she could help me contact these therapists to make an appointment. And my, Laura is a, a very smart woman. She, she, she is. And it didn't take her long to figure out that the list of names that I provided to her all shared something in common, and that was that they dealt with um, sexuality and gender issues. And once she had that realization she she started thinking that maybe you know there there was something along those lines that was affecting me and what ended up happening and and the anniversary of this was um yesterday actually it was 2 years ago yesterday um we were on our way to a, a dinner party and we were driving and and she said she she had a question to ask me um about these these therapists that I had selected and and I said okay <laughs> and she asked if, is it possible that these issues I had been facing, this depression I had been dealing with, was gender related? 
And in that moment, I said, maybe, <laughs> because that was all I could buster in that in that moment. But uh, that that began the start of the conversation. And and that evening was the first night that I told her the feelings that I had been fighting with almost my entire life. <sighs> wow. Wow. I can see why you remember that date because, I mean, what a pivotal day for you and and for your relationship and and your future, actually. So, um, so as you're starting to get to grips at this point with the things that you need and the things that are missing, how did you start to, to handle the situation as it concerned your children? So we were very careful with the children. Once I knew that transitioning not only was important, but, but essential to my survival, um, Laura and I really tried to do some research on how to best communicate this to the children. And there, there are some resources out there, but they're, they're limited. We, we were able to find several books um, that discuss transgender issues at a very age-appropriate level. There's a, there's a wonderful book, I Am Jazz, that was written by Jazz Jennings, that described her journey in her process of coming out. Um, and and that's, that's written as a children's book. And, and Jazz Jennings, of course, is a very visible figure in the, the transgender community. And, and that book was a, a good introduction for the kids to get at least a basic background that not everybody is born into the right body, and that's okay, and that there is a way that, you know, we can still be happy and, and move forward. But we knew that, you know, Jazz's story was was unique to her. That was a, a child who was working on, on coming out, but in, in our case where it was a parent uh, coming out to, to a child – there really wasn't any literature on that that was appropriate, uh, especially age appropriate for for our children. So at, at the time they were, our oldest was six years old, and um, there there was really wasn't anything available out there that we could easily use to communicate this to them. What we ended up doing was writing our own story, and and we wrote several different stories for, for the children because they were different ages at the time, but we basically wrote a very age-appropriate story. Uh, Laura and I sat down together to write this and, and tried to explain it at a very age-appropriate level, you know, what was happening in that at the time, you know, I was going by dad in the house and, and and that I had these feelings that I was born in the wrong body and on the inside I was I was really a girl and that over the next few months I would be changing the way I dress changing the way I sound and changing my name and I think what was most important that we went over in this book, though, was that although I would be going through these changes, my feelings for my children wouldn't change. I love them very much, and this wasn't about them at all. I would still be their parent. I would still be available to them. I would still do all the things that we love to do together. I would still build Legos with them. I would still play video games with them. I would still chase them around the house and tickle them, which they, they love to do. And all of those things would stay the same. 
And I think that that was probably the most important part of how we communicated it in that we, we made sure that there was that consistency that mm-hmm. although some things would change, the love would stay the same. You know, I don't think that that many people would actually think of doing that. That's really quite a remarkable idea and one that a lot of people can learn and benefit from and can actually use themselves in many different situations. Maybe we can now go on to talk about your transition and really how that plays out. There's a lot, obviously, that you need to go through in terms of Mm -hmm. medication and surgeries and physical changes. Let's touch a little bit on that. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. It, it took me 33 years to accept that this is who I was. And, and once you finally get to that point, and it's so much work just to get to that point, you then realize just how much additional work there is that follows. And, and part of that for, for many trans people is going on hormone replacement therapy. And in my case, transitioning from male to female, um, that involves a regimen of estrogen and also testosterone blockers um, that that I would have to take on a daily basis. And I'll continue to have to take estrogen supplements for the the rest of of my life uh, as part of this process. But transitioning is is very much not a sprint. It's it's a marathon. It's not something that happens overnight. Even once you finally accept it, even once you say it out loud, even once you communicate it to your family and friends and children, it still takes a while to get through this process. There is a lot of waiting involved. Um, The hormones take time to work. They take time to... Uh, affect your how how your appearance is. You have to wait for your hair to grow out. In my case, and and it is a very long process. Uh, I think part of that process too is how other people see you and other people perceive you. And what's very difficult for a lot of people in my life is getting used to using a new name and new pronouns, uh, referring to me as she or her. And what was interesting was once we communicated it to the children, they were actually the first ones to get it right all of the time. Even even my parents or even Laura still occasionally would struggle to remember to use she when referring to me when I was first uh, transitioning. But my oldest son, once we communicated it to him, was was absolutely perfect. He He immediately locked in and was the first person in my life to get it right 100% of the time. And I thought that was great. And it's really also indicative of the flexibility of a child's mind, especially a young child that hasn't been negatively influenced by so many things in society. They're open to ideas that maybe people who are older may not be as easily open to. And I I think that really helped in, in my situation. Having younger children and going through this transition helped in a lot of ways. So beautiful. And so all of your boys now, they refer to you as mum. They, they do, but that's, that's a story in its own right because obviously before I, I had gone by a different name with them. And the, the title of mom or, or being a mother is, is a very revered title. And... In, in our house, that was that was Laura's title. She she was mom. She was the mother of our children. She she had birthed them and 
all, all of those, you know, very special experiences that, that she had, uh, that she was able to have as, as their birth mother. And it was a, a very difficult conversation in this house for, for months. Even after I came out to the kids, we weren't sure what I would be called uh, in the house. Um, uh, we weren't sure if, if I would be mom or, or mother or, or either of those names because that was Laura's title. And it was rightfully her title. And, and there was a lot of conversation around whether or not she wanted to share that title with me. And it was never that she saw me as unequal as a parent or anything like that. But I, I think that asking someone to share that title is a very unique perspective. It's a very unique question to be asked. And, and she was put into a very unique situation where all of a sudden, you know, she wouldn't be the only mom in the house. And it was months where we went back and forth and we discussed, well, maybe I would go by mother in a different language or some other transparents who I know go by a created name like Maddie. Ah, I think I get it. <laughs> yeah. You see how that works there? <laughs> but, but that's a popular choice. That's a popular choice. And, and to be fair, I know a fair number of transgender mothers who still go by dad or daddy or father because for them they're able to um that's that's part of their identity and 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 they're okay with that and and for those people in that situation I respect that greatly but I knew for me in in my journey that I I couldn't use that old name I didn't resonate. It didn't resonate with me. It it wasn't how I felt as a parent, and I I didn't want to be referred to that way by my children. I, it just didn't feel right to me. And ultimately, through through these conversations, it, it finally came down to if I wasn't going to be able to use some variation of mother, then I would rather be called just my first name by my children than any other creation. And I think it was at that point in the conversations between Laura and I where she finally understood that this was more than just me stealing something from her. It was bigger than that. It was me being able to express myself and identify myself as the parent of my children. I'm, I'm you know, the biological parent of these children. And if, if we had went out in public and, and our children introduced their parents as mom and Samantha, it, it, it almost sounds very impersonal. It almost sounds like, well, you know, who is this Samantha? Is, is this Samantha even part of the family? Is this, a, is this an aunt? Is this a stepmother? I, I think both of our understanding of what it means to be a mother grew through this experience. And although Laura, you know, was the birth mother and, and had so many of those special experiences, I am also our, our children's mother. And so what we, we, we came to is that Laura is mommy and I'm mama. <laughs> I think that's just beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my next question would be about the reactions that you've had from other mothers, perhaps other mothers at school who are the mothers of friends of the kids or perhaps even your own mother. What's that been like? For my mother, it was a, it was a tough experience for her. 
you know, I, I think all, all mothers want the best for their children. And the hardest thing for my mother when I, when I came out to her was that I had been in pain for so long regarding this situation. And, and for my mom to hear that I had been dealing with this since I was so young, it really hurt her that I was hurt. Just that empathetic feeling she had for me that I had suffered so long and, and she just, she wished that she could have helped me sooner. And I knew that this, that this wasn't on her. This, this was on the time I grew up. This was on the society we lived in. I didn't blame my mom or father for a second for the situation. It took her a while to accept that you were a fantastic mother and you did everything great while I was growing up. There was nothing you could have done for me at the time that that you didn't do. And it took a while for her to accept that and know that, you know, although I was hurting, I'm not hurting now. And, and that was the important thing. And my relationship with my mother is, has improved since I've started this process. I've, I've been able to be a lot closer with her and I've been able to share a lot more experiences with her as well. She's actually visiting uh, this week. She, she's in town. She, she lives out of state and she, she brought me jewelry as a gift, which was just so beautiful and something that of course would never have happened before. But she, she saw uh, a necklace that she just thought would look great on me. And she, she gave it to me last night when she got into town. And that's just such a special moment. It's such a special thing to share with her. And I'm so glad I get to share those experiences with her now. So did you ever think ahead to this point? I mean, when you started the transition, did you ever think it would be possible to really share an experience like that with your mother? Or, I mean, even taking it to the more basic things like your hair. You mentioned your hair earlier and I, just as a side note, your hair is freaking amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but did you ever, at the start, did you ever picture where you would be in two years and think it would be this? Or is this far, far further along than you than you ever imagined? Where I'm at today is far beyond I ever imagined I would be. I when you're at the start of this process and, and especially when you've tried so hard to push these feelings down, I, I had no idea. I had, I had no expectations of where I would end up. I just hoped that I would be able to someday be happy with myself. I, I hope that I would still have my children in my life. I hope that I would still have Laura in my life. Where I've ended up is, is beyond my wildest dreams. And it's, it's incredible to wake up today and, and get to live this life that I have, you know, that, that there was a possibility of losing everything to this process. And I, I think it would be remiss to not mention that there are many other people in my situation where things don't go the way that they went for me and with Laura and, and with our children. There are a lot of spouses out there that can't accept their partner transitioning. Um, and there are people out there that withhold their children from a transitioning parent uh, out of fear or, or misunderstanding. And I, I mean, that's, that's a terrible situation, but it, but it happens. And I, I know people that are experiencing that or, or have experienced that. And I knew uh, that potentially that, that could have been my fate as well going through this process. None of us go into this process lightly. We fully understand the implications of our actions, 
but I did this to live. I did this to have a chance to see my children graduate school. I, I did this to have a chance to see my children have families of their own one day. And I knew that I had to take care of myself in order to have that opportunity. So for, for people in my situation, for people who transition later in life, who have families, who have children, we know that we're putting everything on the line to do this, but we have to, we have to do this to survive. On that note, I think that I just really want to reiterate how thankful I am to you, Samantha, for sharing your story and for your daily activism on uh, social media. I mean, when I found you on Instagram, I was instantly transfixed and I just was in awe of your daily persistence, your devotion to putting yourself really out there um, and really sharing your story with the world and really giving hope to so many people who generally don't see enough representation. And I'm wondering, as you know, someone who is really out there doing this, what is your perception of representation for transgender people or people who might be suffering from some kind of body dysmorphia or something similar? Would you say that there is a lack in representation in general? Absolutely. There's still not a lot of information about families going through transition together out there. And I, you know, I have my presence on Instagram. I have my Suddenly Samantha Instagram page. And there's not a day that goes by where I don't receive a message from somebody who's going through a similar situation that I'm in. Either somebody who's trying to get to the point of being able to talk to their partner about their need to transition or somebody who started their transition and they're just getting into it and they don't know what their future is going to look like. There are so many people in this situation, but very little information out there about families that have gone through this. And there's probably even less information out there about families that have gone through this and successfully negotiated a transition together. Because as much as my transition has been about myself, and about being able to live my my true identity. My transition is also Laura's transition. You know, for, for Laura, she's no longer in a heterosexual relationship as it's perceived by by outsiders. She's she's now married to a woman. She's now in a lesbian relationship. And in these ways, her identity has changed as well. And and not every partner is able to make those changes. Not every partner is able to, to survive that type of transition. But it's important to recognize that as much as this is my story, it's her story and my children's story. And it's important to be visible because there are people going through this process. And I enjoy sharing my story because I know it helps other people. I receive those messages. I, I hear those voices. And people need to see that there is a way forward through this. And although my story is just my story, and everyone's story is going to be unique, it's important that those different perspectives are available out there. They, they are being presented so that people in my situation can make the best decisions for themselves and, and hopefully get to a point where they can also you know, be happy in, in their lives as well. Mm. So... What does the future hold for Samantha? So at this point, I'm about two years into my transition. And, and everyone's transition story is different. Um, individual needs are, are different. Um, 
Some people may decide to go forward with surgical procedures to have their body more in line with where they would like to be. Some people may not. Um, for me, uh, it's been almost two years in hormones now. And over the course of the last two years, I've, I've had five surgeries uh, in uh, as part of this process. Uh, some of those are, are more visible than others to, to outsiders, but those surgeries allowed me to feel more in alignment with, with my body and uh, be more in agreement with, with who I am on the inside. At this point, I, I believe I'm done uh, with, with the surgical portion of, of my transition, but I, I don't know if transition ever really ends. I, I feel like it would be a disservice to say that, that it ever, that it ever does. And the reality is, you know, I lived 33 years of my life as, as, uh, who I was before. And it's never been my intent to erase that history. It's never been my intent to deny that it happened because it did happen. And there were many beautiful moments that happened during that time that, that I would never want to deny. And, um, if you've seen my, my Instagram page, you know that I've posted photos from, from before because I think it's important to show that, yes, this did happen, uh, but I was able to, to get through that and, and become who I am today. Ideally, though, now that the vast majority of my medical transition is complete, my future is just going on with my life. Um, watching my children grow, continuing to be an engaged and involved parent in their life, continuing to work on my relationship with Laura and, and better our relationship together. You know, that's, that's been an adventure as part of this as well. We're, we're still redefining what it means to be um, a couple and to be married with each other. And it's been part of this larger process. And we'll continue to grow together over time. We've been married for 12 years now. And we actually did a, a vow renewal ceremony earlier this year um, on our 12-year anniversary, uh, this time as, as wife and wife. Uh, to sort of renew that promise to each other that, you know, we, this, we are with who we want to be with this. This is how we want to be. Yeah. I saw that photo. <laughs> it's just pure magic. When you look at your wedding all those years ago, and then the recent one, it's just incredible how immersed you become in this uh, this journey, like you, you really see the journey that you've been on and it's, it's just fantastic. Everybody, please make sure you go to Samantha's Instagram channel. It's suddenly Samantha. Um, and yeah, I promise you <laughs> will really enjoy following her. You also do a lot of uh, Instagram stories, which I'm also really enjoying um, if I'm, you know, up at the right time, because obviously we're in very different time zone, you being in Arizona and me in Berlin. But if I'm up, I'm tuned in and I'm always just so amazed by your ability to be so open. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. And, and it's, it's so important to share for, for as much as we've come forward over the last few years with 
uh, transgender acceptance and understanding. There's, there's still so far to go. There's still so much bad information out there. There's still so much divisiveness in the world around transgender rights and what it means to be transgender. One of the best things I can do is, is share my experience and share my best self with the world to help people see that at the end of the day, this is just my life. And this is our loving family of uh, six people as we, as we go through our, our daily existence. And the world didn't end. <laughs> the, the ground didn't open up. We're, we're just here. And, and there's many, many more of us out there. Well, Samantha, thank you so, so much. It's hard to stop talking to you. <laughs> I feel that we could go on forever. Maybe we can have a part two and Laura can be involved as well. <laughs> I would love that. And she would love to be part of it as well. So that brings us to the end of our very first episode of the All Our Mothers podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much, Samantha, for being such an incredible first guest. To anyone listening who may be having thoughts of suicide, please, please, please contact your local helpline and get the help that you need and the help that you deserve. Mm-hmm.